and and there's a whole cohort of us who who I know would continue to fight for what we believed in. Um, and it's very, very difficult to see that we won't get the chance. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, there has to be an acknowledgement that the world turns and that situations are out of our control and that life moves on. My name is Johnny Ball and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. We meet the founder of the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces, James Clark. James is a former regular Mercian officer and a current serving Army reservist. In this episode, our host Johnny recalls the time they first met in the build-up to a tour of Afghanistan. Reunited after a decade, they share experiences of that tour as well as their hopes for a better politics. James also explains what it is like to stand against Jeremy Corbyn in a general election. It's time for you to meet our guest. I am absolutely so chuffed to welcome onto the show my friend James Clark from the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces. And you'll find out in this episode our deep personal connection. But first of all, James, how are you this morning? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you so much for um, having me on. And it's great to uh, great to have been invited and great to actually finally um, get together because it's, it's been a, a couple of weeks now backwards and forwards. And I'm, I'm really delighted that we've managed to make it work. Me too, mate. And and also it's brilliant to, to return the favour because uh, it was <laughs> it was an absolute honour to come on the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces podcast. Uh, so, yeah. Poacher turned gamekeeper. You're on my show now. So <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> the tables have turned indeed. But before we get into everything, um, can you just tell us a, a little bit about your military career leading up to your current service in the Army Reserves? Sure, um, Johnny, I'll be delighted to. Um, so when I was at university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, when I, when I left and I did a little bit of work in politics. Um, but one of the things that I thought I'd do was try the army reserve. Um, and what attracted me was the leadership, um, opportunities and the, the way that as an officer, because that was the, the kind of route that I was looking at, um, you had a kind of holistic experience. So you, you, you were leading and you were managing and you were teaching and you were trying to deliver welfare um, and, and you had this kind of huge, you had this, this really, um, enormous impact, um, on people uh, in a, in a positive way. Um, and so that, that really attracted me, obviously, uh, you know, a bit of free fizz doesn't hurt and, and you, you get paid to do it as well. And, and there's the element of, of travel, excitement, adventure, and, and of course the deeper, um, kind of personal stuff, you know, to do with serving the country and giving something back. Um, when you have been privileged to, to 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 sort of 
live in a an environment in a in a democratic liberal society. Um, so I so I tried the army reserve um, for a little while, um, and the jobs that I was doing when I left university just they just weren't fulfilling. You know they they weren't enjoyable. Um, they were they they weren't they weren't giving me what I wanted. And so I decided that on the basis of my very limited experience in the Army Reserve, that I would go um, full-time and go to Sandhurst. So I went to Sandhurst in 2009, um, commissioned in 2010 into the Mercian Regiment, um, which was just fantastic. I had an amazing career with them. Um, I did two and a half years as a platoon commander, um, which involved one tour of Afghanistan, which was featured in the documentary film Our War. Um, so that was season two, episode two, Return to Death Valley. Uh, and then I went to Winchester, which is the Army Training Regiment, for two years to teach civilians becoming non-infantry soldiers. So it's a 14-week course and teaching them the, the basics. Uh, and that was just so rewarding and engaging for me and one of the, the best times of my life. I had an amazing training team, brilliant, really supportive um, OCs and COs uh, and just really loved my time there uh, and then um, did one final tour of Afghanistan attached to the special forces um, which you know we might talk about later but which was um, which was really eye-opening and gave me rather than a tactical perspective as my first tour had done a much more strategic um, sort of unilateral um, uh, wrong not unilateral um, multilateral um, sort of working environment uh, and and so yeah, so I had a, a very very interesting time then, uh, and then I left and joined the London regiment. Um, did four years with them, and whilst I'm now still with the Londons, I'm, um, I've moved across to the um, University of London Officer Training Corps, where I'm now an acting uh, OC, which I'm in incredibly proud about and, and happy to share because it's quite recent news. Um, and it's basically doing kind of a very similar role to what I was doing at Winchester, which was one that I, I really, really enjoyed. And um, the the young, well, they're not even young officers. They're, they're sort of, they're students. They're basically students. Um, they're just a fantastic group to work with and to work for and to serve and to try and help in, in whatever kind of path they go. So that's my, my military journey in a nutshell up until now. But I mean, we've missed out some key stuff, you know, so so I'm happy to go back and, and go back to some of the good and the less good bits. <laughs> no, let, let's do go back because our listeners will be really interested to hear that we did first meet 10 years ago. I was a Lance Corporal Ball. Um, I think you were um, still a subby at that stage. Le definitely lieutenant. Yeah, lieutenant, I would have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we met on a pre-deployment training before Herrick 15, that tour that you mentioned about that amazing documentary, Our War. And for those of you that haven't uh, listened or watched that documentary, it is available on James's website, which I'll put in the show notes. I actually looked at it again for the first time in a number of years and in the times that we live in, it was a highly emotional watch. And, and I imagine it was as highly emotional for you to, to make and reflect on as well. But we did meet and it's really strange that we keep bumping into each other all these years later uh, on that, from that pre-deployment training where I was a Pashto linguist practicing my skills in a safe environment. And there you were, were there with your, your guys. And before we both then went on Herrick 15, albeit in different parts of Afghanistan. You, you Johnny, can I? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I mean, and, and one of the, the I've, I've, there's sort of two, two points that you raised there that I'd, I'd really like to speak to. And, and one of them is the way that both the way that in the military, you, 
meet these fantastic people and uh, you know, and I've, I've referenced training staff at Winchester and, 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 and obviously, you know, the soldiers that I, 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 um, I worked with and I, and I served um, uh, when I was a two Mercian, um, who I'm meeting up with for a reunion on um, Saturday. It should be fun. Um, but but you, the weird thing about the, the military is that you, you build these relationships and you can instantly connect with people. And that's because you have very similar values um, to them. Um, and you have a defined kind of purpose that you can you can you can that resonates with all of you. Um, and then what's so fantastic is you can maintain those relationships, you know, every day or every week or every month for ten years, and you can be great friends. Or you can put those relationships down and bump into someone six or seven years later, and it's like you haven't left the relationship. And and I just think that's so rewarding in the military. And, and sometimes you do find it as a civilian, you know, when you really click or really connect with someone. But it's, it's so much more common in the military. And it, it was an absolute delight um, to, to, to run into you again um, in your role in, in campaign force. Um, and then the, the second thing as well is, is to say, like, the, the training that you and I, you know, bumped into each other on. How brilliant was that training? I, I, just, I, I just can't think of a civilian environment where you're given such incredible assets and resources to practice for a, a real a real thing and 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 to you know i understand that obviously you know military operations are, are life and death and therefore you need to do some decent practice but but even if you know even if you consider you know public speaking or giving a presentation or pitching to a client you know if if you know there's a lot to learn civilian um civilian employers and, and civilian you know and entrepreneurs you know could learn a lot from the way that the military sets up its people for success with some of the best most intense most realistic training um and then and then when you fire out into the into the real thing you you not you know you've sort of seen it all before you know you see you've seen you've you've been in those situations you've made those decisions you've you've had you've made mistakes and you've had them corrected and and i found that hugely hugely advantageous on my um you know on, on my tours i i think you know some of those things about meeting people up and that training etc are, are those cliches that are so true about the military community and i know that transfer of skills and training is something you're passionate about in your work that you do with the conservative friends of the armed forces which we'll touch on in a moment uh, but going back to afghanistan we've had this lull of 10 years when we first met and then subsequently deployed in 2011 and, to, and to, into 2012 but all of a sudden afghanistan as we know has appeared on the news cycle again in the most tragic of circumstances and I don't know about you but I'd kind of put to bed the whole Afghan experience and reconciled with that some years ago and it wasn't really something that I repeatedly kept revisiting I, I kind of equate it to a bit of a fish tank that's got some silt along the bottom it settled it was at peace and all of a sudden someone's shaken that that fish tank and it's got the water's got a little bit muddied um and you've got that piece, that BAFTA award-winning documentary, Our War, from BBC to reflect on too. But how's it been to you all these years later? Because you were really open in that documentary about the frustrations of fighting in the war in, in a context of the limiting rules of engagement. But how do you reflect on all that now, all these years later? Uh, it's, a, it's a massive question, um, Johnny. And I, but when, when people have asked me about this, I've, I've kind of said to them, there are sort of three ways that I kind of look at it and process what's going on. There's a, a political 
um, kind of a political filter, a political narrative or a political way of understanding what's going on. And to me, um, the, the, the NATO alliance have made a huge geo, sort of geostrategic error in withdrawing from Afghanistan. I think there are huge ramifications that we can't even predict. Um, and there are some really quite appalling ramifications that we can predict and are already in some cases seeing with some of the brutality that, that that's come with the, the Taliban's um, takeover. Then there's a kind of political um, political way of looking at things. So that's the sort of second way I look at it. And the political sense, you know, I, I've spoken with um, Secretary of State Ben Wallace, you know, on a number of occasions and I, I'm, I'm well tied in with the, the Conservative parliamentary network. Um, and, you know, I, I completely concede um, that, that, you know, guys like Ben Wallace and, and, and Dominic Robb, you know, they are, they are 100% committed to furthering the aims of, of, of UK PLC and, and, and of, 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 of Britain, you know. But at the same time, there must come a point where we look at what's happened over the last four months, six months, year, and see that politically, you know, we have obviously fallen out of the the role that perhaps we did have previously, or perhaps we kidded ourselves that we had, um, where we could influence um, US foreign policy and where we were in, albeit an unequal partnership, we were in a partnership. Um, and, and politically, I think there is definitely... I don't, I'm not sure there are questions to answer, but I think that there's action to be taken to really um, define what our role is um, on the global stage and to, to, to basically perform more effective statecraft. Um, and, and I think that I actually think that people at the top are well aware of that and, and that is their goal. Um, but we need to really try and try and somehow support that um and and we need to look for it in our states men and women of the future and then thirdly and i think this perhaps goes to what your original question was that thirdly i kind of look at it from an emotional perspective a, a personal reflection um and, I, and i'm you know I, I can't swear but I, i'm i'm gutted i'm absolutely i'm absolutely gutted um and uh, you know, this this podcast could probably turn into two hours of you and I talking about the the situation. But um, you know, one of the one of the things that I've said kind of publicly when I've been asked about um, about this and how I feel is that you know I do think that uh, coalition forces, you know, NATO coalition forces um, did an awful lot of good, uh, as well as as well as making some horrendous mistakes and 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 you know both strategically and tactically, you know, making some real errors. Um, but, you know, I think that, that for the guys on the ground, you know, we made a difference every single day, every time that we went out of the gate, every time that you went out of the gate and you engaged with, you know, a, a, a local villager, you know, and, and I know that you've talked quite movingly about the, the school that you sort of helped to set up, you know, every person who went through that school, um, every person who, who drove along the road that I and my soldiers were trying to protect, you know, who was building a kind of economic, you know, that kind of building economic framework. You, you, you were sort of more involved in the kind of educational, you know, part of the of, of building a civil society. You know, that was that was hugely important. And you can't remove twenty years of um, opening people's eyes um, in in an assault. You know, or well, in in the takeover of the capital city. 
Um, and interestingly, a, a friend of mine who's still serving, who's a major, an infantry major who I respect a great deal, um, he said to me, well, I think you're changing the narrative there. You know, I don't think that's right. Um, you know, this idea that we went there to help educate females is not true. And we shouldn't sort of retrospectively apply um, a kind of narrative that, that didn't exist. Um, and I and my response, you know, to him was that 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 he might have a point there, and, he, and that might be true. But if that is true, then how do veterans, service personnel, aid workers, anyone who is really tied into this, how, how do we how do we look each other in the eye? How do we how do we look ourselves in the eye in the mirror? You know, I, I think that that to a certain extent, you know, guys like you and I, Johnny, we need to believe that. There was a point for all of the, all of the horror, and and the appalling situations and and things we were involved in, and things we've heard about, and things we've felt and seen. And we have to believe that that there was a purpose to that, and that it was a good purpose, um, which I do believe. Um, but I also understand that there are people out there who who can't who can't see that and. And it, it's very tough and very complicated situation. So I hope I haven't rambled too much there, mate. I hope I've sounded sounded kind of coherent. But uh, I mean, it, it, and that's one of those things, you know, and I've spoken to my fiance Hannah about this as well. So, some of my feelings about this are quite incoherent. But, you know, um, you know there, there is a piece of me that thinks, let's go back and get them, you know. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of us, a lot of us guys who are cutting around now, you know, a lot of people's, a lot of people's next door neighbors, sons, you know, a lot of guys that work in a fish and chip shop or who, who are driving for Amazon or who, who are, you know, trading in cryptocurrency or who are making podcasts, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty handy. You know, we, we've had a lot of training too, you know, we've, we've done a lot of stuff and, and there's a whole cohort of us who, who I know would continue to fight for what we believed in. Um, and it's very, very difficult to see that we won't get the chance. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, there has to be an acknowledgement that the world turns and that situations are out of our control and that life moves on. And, you know, as, 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 as frustrating as, as it is, actually Dominic Raab yesterday was in Doha with having talks with the Taliban. Well, if the US frees $9 billion worth of um, Afghanistan's assets, cash assets, then then the Taliban won't be able to pay the civil service and they won't be able to pay teachers and they won't be able to pay doctors and they won't be able to pay nurses and they won't be able to pay policemen. And so all those people will stop being all of those things and the country will will descend into an even worse hell than anything that was going on while we were running around trying to trying to trying to do what we were doing. And even before then. And and I'm acutely aware that that it, it it feels very distasteful to be having to have peace talks and conversations like this with people who we we you know we we fought we physically fought against and who killed our friends and whose friends we killed and yet it has to happen because because otherwise we'll we'll be making an awful situation even worse so it's it's so complex you've given such a an eloquence and full overview that ranging from that geopolitical to the very personal and 
I also think it's right for everyone to have their own narrative or to be working out their own narrative at the moment. Comes back down to that fish tank analogy that I used. Everyone's got their fish tank. Perhaps people's fish tanks were a bit muddy anyway. Mine happened to be quite settled. But I think for the majority of us, perhaps that fish tank has been muddied and we're all working out what that narrative is. I'm probably more attuned to you than your friend in that there have been those no one can take away those advances that we made you can replace governments but it's very difficult to replace the hopes of some of those individual afghans that we were a tiny teeny tiny part in helping produce some of those hopes of those individuals but thank you for for sharing that because it's it's really important that we document this as the Afghan veterans community. And one thing you touched on there was around some of the individuals making political decisions and the the political narrative that hasn't come out particularly well during all of this. But you are one of the, the founders of the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces, a political party, the Conservative Party. But And I guess that's one of your ways of trying to get better people from our generation that you've just spoken about in your recount of Afghanistan into the Conservative Party. But I'll ask you directly, why on earth did you set it up in the first place? And what's that experience been like from setting something up within a mainstream political party? So, John, yeah, I mean, thank, and, and, and I kind of, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about Afghanistan, but I'm, I'm pleased that we're, that we're moving on. Um, because like I said, I think we could probably, probably sit and, and talk about it, you know, for for the rest of the day um yeah okay we'll move on to the politics bit yeah yeah which will be hopefully is less less emotionally uh engaging um but yeah so um so so cfaf yeah so basically I, I stood for parliament in 2017 and it was the snap election and um i like a few a few hundred probably if possibly a few thousand people um, I was not on the Conservative Party's approved candidates list. I was in the process, um, but I but I hadn't been selected, uh, or, or hadn't had I hadn't had an interview. I had I'd, I was on sort of stage three of the kind of eight stage ladder. But when the snap election was called, I, I basically emailed the candidates department and said, "Hi there, you know, you, you kind of you know me, and I used to work for the party previously, and I've done you know I've, I've been an army officer and." You know, I'm currently the association chairman in Lewisham Deptford. You know, could you, you know, would you, you know, would you consider me as a candidate? You know, I could come in for an emergency interview. And the first time in, a, 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 you know, and a, um, I think it's, there's, there's been a big change uh, internally over the last few years. Um, but at the time, that was the that was the the email that I sent that got the quickest response. So within 24 hours, I had an email back, which basically said, you know, thank you. Don't call us. We'll call you. And I thought, well, hey, do you know what? Like, I've I've tried, you know, and and there were a few other, you know, machinations. But essentially, to cut a long story short, um, I I was delighted to very late on be invited for a, a an emergency interview, which basically lasted for about an hour and a half. Um, and uh, I was then telephoned the next day, uh, the next evening, and and they said, you know. We've got, you know, we've got two bits of great news for you. You know, the first is you've been approved to, you know, be an emergency candidate on the candidates list. To which I'm thinking, well, this is fantastic. You know, I've fast forwarded my journey by like a year and a half, you know, two years. This is brilliant. 
And they said, and we've got a seat to offer you. And I was thinking to myself, well, I'm the Lewisham Deptford Association chairman. You know, perhaps it'll be Lewisham Deptford. God, that'd be amazing. You know, it'd be like my local patch. I know it already. And they said, how would you feel about Islington North? Um, and I didn't register initially. And then I sort of gasped, you know, in kind of as a theatrical style. Um, and of course, Islington North is Jeremy Corbyn's seat. Um, and I don't know whether we'll 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 come and, and talk to this a bit later. But essentially, what happened was I, I fought the election um, in Islington North against Jeremy. Um, didn't win. Um, uh, he's been the yeah he, he'd been the he'd been the MP for Islington North for longer than I've been alive. So that was that was how that was that was what I was up against. Um, but um, but yeah, one of the things that I found while I was um, so actually after in a kind of in my sort of PXI, you know, my, my after action review, um, I thought to myself, well, what what would have been useful? And I thought what would have been useful would have been um, a, a kind of a friends of group, because a lot of candidates, you know, um, and particularly female candidates could draw on um, mentors and, you know, um, uh, resources um that have been specifically designed to help them in that situation. You know, and I'm talking about organizations like Conservative Women's Organization and Women to Win, you know, fantastic. You know, the more training, the more help for people, the better. And I thought, you know, where was mine? Um, so I spoke to um, the team at CCHQ and said, you know, so where, who are the, where's the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces? They could have really helped me out. And they said, oh, well, they don't exist. Um, perhaps you'd like to start them. And I thought, well, yeah, perhaps I would actually. You know, it's not that 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 plays. You know, that 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 kind of ties in with what I think people should do. You know, I think if you see a gap um, where you know you can, you know, where where you can help other people, then you should try and fill that gap. And I did approach I approached starting Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces in a very tentative way. You know, I was under no illusions that after one dramatically failed attempt at parliament that I had anything to teach other people but I did at least think that we could get a group together who were like-minded and who would take who would who as an interest group you know who were committed to the armed forces and whether whether you've got a military background or whether you're simply a conservative who is you know positive and infused with the military or who has some connection or who uh, admires the values and standards, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had a couple of people uh, pointed towards me. So Nick Clark, Lewis Fielder and Tony Heath um, were kind of, they were in Johnny Mercer's orbit. Um, and I reached out to Johnny and a few others and, and sort of, we kind of got this, this band, this rogue group together. And we kind of went through the hoops of creating an organization, a membership organization, um, and, you know, made a few mistakes on the way, but we had a big launch and the Defence Secretary at the time, Gavin Williamson, um, came to the launch, which was just hugely, you know, was, was, was massive, you know, was, was great for us. And we had some really great, great people, um, other MPs and, and, and peers who, who joined us, as well as, you know, friends of mine and people on the candidate circuit and people who'd served with me who wanted to come and support me in case, you know, nobody turned up. Um, but no, so we had a good, we had a good launch. And since then, I think we've donated about four and a half thousand pounds to conservative candidates um, who are, who are, who have military backgrounds or who are members of our organization standing from local to national elections. Um, you know, we've run quite large fundraisers and have big receptions at conference. We've done um, panel discussions, you know, on the role of, um, you know, training and transition, um, uh, female um, and ethnic minority engagement, um, and also um, with this year producing our first uh, policy pamphlet, 
um, which uh, I'm very proud of. Um, this is a, a, initiated by a chap called Will Hall, um, and Ed McGuinness has, has also been, you know, really uh, involved in kind of um, turbocharging the organisation. So, so we're on a really good footing, and um, and and yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to the Concerted Parties Conference, where we'll have a, a big reception. Hopefully, the Secretary of State for Defence will will come and say a few words. That's, that's phenomenal work, James. And and what I like about it is that you were given a you were challenged, said, "All right, then, why don't you set it up?" And from that initial challenge all the work you've done and indeed I've enjoyed the outreach that and the relationship we've been able to form between campaign force and the conservative friends of the armed mm. forces it's and I think it's one that will go from strength to strength so I just really congratulate you on that achievement and Thanks, you, did, mate. Yeah. You, you mentioned good old Jezza uh Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> I mean just fascinated you must have met him um either obviously at the count we always meet uh the opposition candidates and agents. what's he what's he like what's the experience uh, like of I, engagement I, I, met him, I met him twice um and only twice both at both counts the first it, during the the first during 2017 um i would have uh probably met him at a an education hustings but unfortunately that was cancelled because of the um the london bridge terror attack um, so, you know, campaigning was suspended for a couple of days and, and that was one of the, the things that was suspended. Um, uh, I met him in very different circumstances on both occasions. So uh, in 2017, um, he he walked into the uh, the, the hall um, where the votes were being counted at a uh, um, like a leisure centre hall um, uh, to a standing ovation from the people counting the ballots, which is is quite an unusual thing to have in a democracy but there we are um, and he had a large entourage um and labor were you know had 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 nearly you know had, had nearly had nearly um overcome the conservatives um and certainly it caused serious headaches with the, the sort of effectively the hung parliament um that that resulted um and uh, he was in good spirits and uh we shook hands on the stage and he cracked a couple of jokes and i laughed and you know and 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 his regardless of his politics to a certain extent he's a major political figure in the uk politics and i and i at the time and still probably am not so so it was quite um it was you know it was really interesting to to meet you know to meet him and to and to have a few have a few words with him um and then uh the second time i met him um was the complete opposite because uh, the um, exit polls were showing that the Conservatives in 2019 were then going to have, um, you know, a huge landslide majority of 80, 80 seats. And um, and there was, the mood was very different. So, of course, the Conservatives in my group um, who were there were, were jubilant. Um, but uh, he, he came in with um, an entourage, a quarter of the size. He seemed much frailer um, he, and... and quite confused at times um and then when we were on the stage uh, there, there was it was a very it was very different um it was a very different uh tone and then as soon as he left the stage the um brexit party candidate who was jewish um went straight over to him and um confronted him about some of the issues that the labor party were um experiencing at the time um and Jeremy was obviously visibly distressed and and yeah so it was it was a really different it was a really different experience um but um 
yeah, now to see him in the Commons making speeches and still cutting around is 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 old. It's it's interesting. I was going to say, do you go for coffee? You know, as old. Uh, yeah. uh, he's one of the you know, and do you know what? Actually, Johnny, it's that, it's funny you should say that because there are some um, MPs that I've spoken to who who still go for drinks with their opposition you know, kind of with the opposition candidates um, and they formed a, a better relationship. You know, if you do a few hustings together and you actually think, well, on a personal level, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're good crack and, and actually, you know, national politics, there's a bit, you know, we have to be a bit punch and judy, but, but you know, we can, you know, we can get on well. I, I do I do know that there are um, MPs and candidates who do form those kinds of relationships, but no, no, that's not one that I, I, have, I have developed or, or, no. or been offered. No, well, we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, so yeah, call, call me because I'd love. To, I'd love actually. I would love to meet Jeremy Corbyn. It'd be fascinating. It would be interesting. It would be fascinating. Um, but no, you do touch on that fact that despite the punch and Judy, there are friends, particularly within the veterans community, and we've documented that on this podcast with Tom Tugendhat and Dan Jarvis and Johnny, and you know they mention those friendships uh, beyond the party political divides, and clearly that's one of my objectives with campaign force. But by your own admission and evidence in that fight against Jeremy Corbyn. You have a habit of standing in Labour strongholds, including uh, where my family are from, in Deptford and Lewisham. And I w- what advice, therefore, would you give to anyone that's thinking about taking on a big beast like Jeremy Corbyn or looking to take on a challenge? It could be in local government like you have as well, standing in local government against a, a safe opposition seat. What advice would you give? I mean, it's so cheesy because I, I've asked this question myself to, to uh, members of parliament and they always sort of say the same thing and I'm going to say it now, which is just do it. Um, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say but, that. <laughs> but the, um, but I, suppose, I suppose I can kind of cut, I can try and flesh that out a little bit. Um, you, you don't, you, you know, so Tom Stoppard um, uh, is a playwright and, and wrote a play called Arcadia. And, and in, the, in the play, there's a, there's a line which I cling to <laughs> Um, through, which I have clung to throughout my life, which is a lesson in folly is worth two in wisdom. Um, and, and it kind of goes to that. Um, you, you don't learn as much from your successes as you do from your failures. And actually being in a position where you are um, completely overwhelmed by the opposition and where effectively, although you, you shouldn't admit it or shouldn't fight your battle like this, you'll never win. Um it actually gives you the freedom to to learn, to 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 practice, to to try things out that that don't work, so that when you're in a position where you 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 can you, you do have a shot, then you you have already filtered your possible courses of action. Um, you know, you need to the the most important thing when you're fighting in a seat like that is to take people with you. Because there is no point you on your own delivering, you know, a thousand leaflets to a thousand doors with a thousand voters who are never going to vote for you. That is that is grim. And I have done that. You know, I have made that mistake. But what's really important is to try and encourage three or four people who perhaps wouldn't have gone out otherwise to come with you and then to go to the pub afterwards or to go and to, to play football afterwards or to go and sit and watch TV afterwards. That that's what that's what you can really get. And I, I think this goes to, and this is something that I think the Liberal Democrats are, are incredibly good at, is you, you don't, you, you don't, you don't overcome Jeremy Corbyn or, or a massive Labour um, majority in one election. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that is hugely anomalous. But what you can do is you can set up a team for success in the future. 
by your actions. And that's what I've tried to do in every one of those elections is to leave either at the local level or at the national level to leave the association in a better position than where it started. And ideally have found people who will take on the mantle and do the next leg of the relay. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my advice. Do it. Just do it. And some really good advice there about those building blocks as you go forward. But I, what I like about that within all of that is you've got to make it fun as well. Those people, it's about people. Politics yeah. is about people. So those teams around you, it's got to be fun. Um, but you must have something that you want to achieve within all of this work, all of this graft, all of this, the hours, the doorstep knocking, the leaflet delivering, all of those elections. What is it that you're hoping to achieve by the end of all of this? So, Johnny, I don't, I don't make a secret of it that I, that I have designs on national politics and I, I want to become an MP and it is a driving force in my life and has been since I was about 16. Um, and the, the reason for that, that, there's kind of, again, like there's like the emotional kind of level and then there's like the kind of more considered level. So from an emotional perspective, I, my, my personality, I like to take responsibility and I like to take responsibility in order to make other people's lives better in order to help them. And that is the essence of why I'm in politics is because I want to help other people. And, you know, I didn't go down the route of being a doctor, so I can't heal people. You know, I didn't go down the route of being a lawyer, so I can't protect them from the government or other people. You know, I'm not a policeman. I've served in the military and that that is a, you know, a big, you know, sort of part of, of that, of, of my kind of feeling of, of taking responsibility and, and you know, and, and helping people and trying to give them a better life, both the soldiers that I served and also the, the, the you know, the people you know, who happened to be in Afghanistan because, you know, you get told where to go. You don't, you don't choose where you, where you go. So, so there's that element of my character in a kind of personal way. And then there's a kind of um, a more considered kind of vision. And, and what I would like to bring to politics is, is a more um, considered kind of statesman-like approach to foreign policy. Um, there's an idea which I'm sort of gestating and which I'm going to probably write um, a, a sort of piece or a few pieces about next year called responsible citizenship, where um, I think it's really important that, and, and this echoes one of the things that I spoke about earlier, where if you, if you walk down the street unmolested, if you have enough food, if you have your education paid for by the state, if when you break your arm, um, you, you know, somebody bandages it up and that's, that's included in your taxes, you know, you are, you are just so fortunate. You know, you are just so lucky. And I, and I feel that. I, I feel so blessed. You know, I understand how privileged I am. I can see it. And I think that if in order to, to actually really enjoy that privilege, you have to give something back. You have to be, you have to be giving something back. And that's why, you know, I'm such a massive fan of Campaign Force because, to be honest, you know, and, and it sounds a bit cliche because people say it all the time, but, but politicians aren't evil. And it doesn't matter if you're, a, you know, an anarcho-syndicalist or, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, to the right in the Conservative Party or if you're a socialist or a Liberal Democrat or Brexit Party, you are in politics because you want to make people's lives better. You might want to make your own life better, but, but, you, but you know, you want to make other people's lives better. And so this idea of responsible citizenship is that I think that every person who's in our society should 
should do things to make their society better. And, and that might be picking up litter or that might be standing for office or being a magistrate or, or volunteering. But, but we really must, I, I, I really, you know, I really, and I'm not, not through coercion, but I really believe that we should be encouraging people to be more responsible citizens. And then the sort of third tenant or the third thing that I focus on, and, and we, we touched on it again today as well, is the, this idea of education. You know, education is incredibly important because you can teach people to believe in themselves. And when they believe in themselves, they are unstoppable. And we, we really, as a, as, a, as a nation, you know, we have this amazing, we have the best resource in the world, which is that the citizens of, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And if we could only harness all of them and all of their potential, imagine what we could achieve. And that is what I will be fighting for in Parliament is to try to, I don't know, in any way improve the, the educational lot of the people of this country. James Clark, Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces. I think we'll leave it on those words. Cheers, mate. Let's, let's not leave it in another 10 years. <laughs> Johnny, I'll see you soon for a pint. Thanks so much for the opportunity to speak today. It's great to catch up. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Speak soon. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.